Are you ready, Christine? Sure am. Are you ready, Ma? Oui, oui. Oh. Listen to the story. Oh. Oui, oui. Oui, oui. Proceed. We are going to France. A city in France? We never knew. Like, was it Paris? I don't know. It was a city in France. It's a nice little city. It was. I, I assumed it was Paris, but... I did, too, but then I thought, well, there are other cities in France. Yes, yes there are. Lyon. Um, Normandie. Others. Um, uh, Champagne. Burgundy. Those <laughs> yeah, are regions. Let's just go with wines. <laughs> okay. This is a psychological thriller about a TV talk show host and his wife who are terrorized by surveillance videos of their private life now but i thought they were going to be like like inside the apartment it was it was okay we'll get more into it this <laughs> is cachet or hidden because cachet kind of means hidden in french right Blair? <laughs> Oh man, I, my apologies, Blair. For oh, you didn't look it up. I didn't. Um, actually, it it did come up that hidden. Yeah, somewhere I read okay. it somewhere. I didn't make Thank it up. You. Yeah, I believe you. And I didn't I, learn it in French class. And I can't read the pronunciation keys because I never learned that stuff. So, I I I'm just stumped whenever I need to hear it. Right. So we would like the particulars. Okay. So are we doing cachet? That's how we're saying it? Uh, yes, mm -hmm. it is cachet. Cachet. Yeah, it's not an umlaut. It's a... Accent? I wonder what that is. Yeah, maybe accent mark on the E at the end. Um, also known as Hidden in the UK, it debuted at the Cannes Film Festival on May 14, 2005, and was released wide in France on October 5th. 2005. It's written and directed by Michael Haneke. Is that how you say it, Christine? Uh, me? Haneke. I think it's because he's Austrian. So I'm going with Haneke. I would say Haneke. Haneke. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, he's an Australian, Austrian filmmaker known for also doing The Piano, Amour, and Happy Ending, among other films. It's edited by Michael Hudicek, who also did Alphabet, and in the beginning there was Light, and Nadine Muse, who also did Amour, The Piano Teacher, and Code Unknown. The music is by Nerd Alert. There is no music in this, mm -hmm. except for George's, uh, his show's theme song and the background music at Anne's publishing party. Right. Oh. And that was on purpose. That seemed like that is one reason why that opening scene seemed so long. I have more to say about that later. The director of photography is Christian Berger, who also did The White Ribbon, The Piano Teacher, and Ludwig II. Starring Daniel Atur, Atil, who has <laughs> played... Now, is it Georges or Georges? No. I just saying, George's. George's, George's. Um, 
Because sometimes the G is pronounced with the in some languages, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It, 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 Georges, well. Georges, Georgie. <laughs> he was all, he's also he's a big time actor in France. Um, he's in The Girl on the Bridge, The Closet. Hold on. Um, let's see if this works. George. 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 Thank you. Um, nerd alert. Daniel Atul, this actor, fellow man, this man right here, <laughs> he was the reason that Henneke wrote the script. He had never worked with him before, but he had was just a, an, uh, an admirer of his craftsmanship. And he liked that he, all of his characters that he played, they always seemed to have a secret. Oh. Mm. And we have Juliette Binoche as Anne. She was in The Unbearable Likeness of Being. She was in the Three Colors film trilogy, Blue, White, and Red. She was also in The English Patient mm-hmm. and mm. Chocolat. And mm. she's been in so many films. She's yes. a worldwide star. Um, big time star. We have Maurice Benichow, who played Majid. Majid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, that's as close as we're getting. He was also in Amelie, Code Unknown, and The Time of the Wolf. We have Annie Girardot, who played Georgie's mother. She was in Three Rooms in Manhattan, Rocco and his brothers, The Slap, The Piano Teacher. A nerd alert in the 70s, she was France's biggest female movie star. I've seen her in stuff before. Mm-hmm. She is world-renowned. And we have Walid Afkir, who is Majid's son. He was also in Paris, Jetam, and Amour, and Burnout, to name a few. And there are the particulars. Okay, so the movie starts and spends a lot of time on a street scene. A lot. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is why this is a two-hour or whatever minute film right yeah. here. Yeah. And it wasn't until I'd finished watching it and I started writing up my notes, I realized, oh, that's from the tape, the videotape. That wasn't until then that you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But that's why it was so long, because that's, that's what they funny. were watching. They were yeah. just watching this videotape of, of the outside of their house. I had to, like, it took me a while to get it as well, because I was just sitting there. I, did, I imagine the same thing. Well, I was just sitting there. I'm like, well, I have a pretty good idea about why the running time is what it is. And then it was later, and I had, I was, I've mentioned this before on podcast. Sometimes I have to sink in, and I have, like, the movie has to teach me how to watch it. And so after about 10, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. then I have to rewind it and start it from the beginning. Oh. Now that I'm like, like, oh, okay, I kind of get what's going on. So I had to do that. And then I kind of got like, oh, it was a tape. Because I couldn't understand the uh, the whole, you know, because I'm also having to read. And that's not my forte. It's true. <laughs> but they gave you a lot of time to read. Yes. They did. I just kept thinking of that opening shot. Oh, Tini's gonna say this went on too long. I liked it. I know I liked it, and I listened to 
something about how when the shot is like we're watching the videotape and like it's not a moving camera it's an objective shot because it's just you're the camera's not moving so you're just seeing what whatever is happening but then when the camera's moving it's a subjective shot because then whoever's filming is showing you what you want showing what they want you to see and am i a film major now yes you are well there we go you saved your parents a lot of money congratulations <laughs> <laughs> something i learned my first highlight um, is the movie but i We'll save that, I guess. Go on. Okay. It is the home of Georges and Anne Laurent. They were both into books. Lots. They sure were. So many books. Get a little free library or something. You don't need all those. At the beginning of the movie, they have already received a cassette tape of the same street video. Well, it was the street video. They have a dinner party, go to the police, go to work, and we see the video of the street view. What could go wrong? <laughs> the whole movie. They have a dinner party, go to work, go to the police. <laughs> There's some yelling in French. They go There's to work. Drawings. Yeah, man, I wish I could argue in French because it sounds so good. It does, but I will say not as good as in German. <laughs> If you well, want to cuss true. someone out, that's, that's why I wanted to learn German, because that is an unforgiving language. That's a that's a mad people's language right there. It's a it's a mad people. <laughs> this is gonna this is a tough beat for us, ma. This is a, the German and French. That, apologies to anyone who is French when we get in the cast. <laughs> I too hold my head because you are part French as well. I mean, yes. I mean, that's the, in our DNA thing from your side, it's, it's, ba- it's just the border was crossed. Like back and forth and yeah, back and forth. Decide, like if you're German or French, it's just where the border was that determined right. what you were. So. Okay. We are to POC. I, I counted four. Okay. People of color. I have the aggressive black man on the bicycle. Oh, wow. You you sided with George's on that. You do know that, he was on the street and George was the one that walked out. I I didn't say that George was not equally aggressive. Okay. Um but wait, before we move on because in my notes for that, I just wanted to point out that I'm not saying that this man is of Haitian descent, but it did remind me when I was watching the scene that if I was of Haitian descent and living in France, oh well, yeah. Knowing what I know about what France has done to Haiti and making it pay for its own freedom, paying France made Haiti pay reparations to France for a very, 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 very long time within our lifetimes and more, and that's kind of the situation of why France, uh, Haiti is as unstable as it is and if i knew that then and i was that guy of and i'm of haitian descent i wish that doughy motherfucker would raise his hands to me (laughs) i thought he had every right to be that angry because that is very dangerous if you're on the street and you're a bicycle you can go up and then somebody's just stepping out in front of you 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous for both of you. Yes. It's highly dangerous. Agreed. The um, female at the dinner party. Oh, yes. I forgot about her. Oh, yeah. The um, third major character, or maybe first major character, the Algerian. Majid. Majid. And Majid's son. Yes. That's what I had as well. Okay, everybody. Settle in. Get your drinks ready. Okay. Aaron, push up your glasses. Mm-hmm. It's okay. time for cast. for cast. So, I would say, so Michael, the director of this film, Michael Haneke, he started writing this around 2001. And remember, September 11th, mm-hmm. I guess, like, had happened, like, while he was, you know, working on this. And then that's when surveillance became a really big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like prior to that, yeah, you could, but now with like terrorism and all of that, then it's surveillance and the technology got way better where cameras could be way smaller. Things are getting digitalized now. So all of that. So surveillance and it became this whole idea of privacy and all of that because, you know, this is in the infancy kind of of the Internet and. You know, people are beginning to, to want to think about safety and if they can hijack two planes and, you know, blow up the World Trade Center, then everybody is on edge and wants to know things. But at what price are you willing to give up your freedom and stuff? So then when he was writing this, he also found out about this incident that had been buried by the French government. And Georges mentions it in, in the film when he comes clean about um, Majid, his family, so George's family had an estate and Majid's family were Algerian um, farm workers who worked on the estate, his parents, his, Majid's mother and father. And one day they go into Paris and they never return. And George's family wanted to adopt Majid and six George was George's was six years old at the time, and he had for various reasons different ideas about that. And so this is kind of the survey of who's surveilling them seems like it has something to do with that. So this incident is about the French government's decades-long denial about what is called the 1961. Sign River Massacre. Is it Sign or Sen? Sen. Sen. Sen River well, Massacre. Sen. Probably Sen more. It's the river in Paris. So, okay. Because there's a lot, of, of course, going back. So I'm trying to paint. I hope that I tried to paint a picture in a way that's easy to follow. If you have questions, let I me know. So. Okay. So this, the, the 1961 Sign River Massacre... It happened on October 17, 1961. You had 30,000 French Algerians peacefully protesting. Now, why were they protesting? Well, because the French, pol- the Paris police chief had insti- had started a curfew. So anybody who was French Algerian or looked French Algerian had to be inside from 8 p.m. to 5:30 a.m. Yes. Um, was it was it just 
French Algerians? I mean, there were there were people from Africa in France at the time. Was it any person of color and they just called them French Algerians? Well, I'll get to, I'll answer that question. Okay. So why was there a curfew for Algerians in Paris? So we have to go back a little ways for history. So um, picture Africa, picture the top I'm looking of Africa. At it on the map. Okay. It's very close to France, Algeria. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the top, if you're looking at the top countries that make up what is referred to as Northern Africa, mm-hmm. from right to left on the map, you have Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt. The French started occupying Algeria starting in 1830. Then in Tunisia, they occupied in, starting in 1881. And in Morocco, they occupied starting in 1912. Now, all of the land that's west of Egypt is known as Maghreb, and that translates to the West. The people of this land call themselves Amazir, which equals free people. That's what it means. Now, that area, I watched this whole video on the history of North Africa, and as you know, it goes back quite a ways pretty much the birthplace of civilization because you have I mentioned Egypt you have the Nile so you have the pharaohs all of that so we're talking about all the way back in the old BCs all through that time all these different empires have come in the Romans the Greeks all of them because it's all around you know the the Mediterranean coast and stuff you got a whole bunch of it in more modern times the Ottoman Empire owned it so these people they had People have been coming in and occupying them and wars and moving out and for for so long. Like it it would be mind blowing for our little American minds to even be able to fathom how long this had happened. But in more modern times, they had um, had a nice peaceful time where they were like ruling themselves. And then, you know, the colonizers, the modern colonizers came in and stuff. So the people, they don't call this land the Maghreb, the Amazir people call this land Tamazga. So Tunisia and Morocco, they won their independence from France in 1956. And they straddle Algeria. Well, that's right. Yeah. If you look at the map, you can see that it first went in Algeria, and then to s- secure their Algerian stronghold, they were like, let me get to Tunisia, let me go Morocco, and then their graphs on that were a little less tenuous, and by 1956, they had won their own independence. Algeria's independence would take fighting an eight-year war with France. This is known as the Algerian-French War. That war started in 1954. Okay? So mm-hmm. by the time that we're in October 1961, we're kind of in, it's been seven years that Algerians have been fighting for their independence. Now, in 1958, this guy by the name of Maurice Papon becomes the Paris police chief. And he has impressed the higher-ups with how well he supervised the torture of political prisoners in Algeria in 1956. So remember, 1956 is the year that Morocco and uh, Tunisia got their independence. So you know there are a lot of political... <laughs> it was hot in North Africa then. And this guy, they liked how he 
he tortured people. Mm-hmm. So if you look at his age, it's like 56. All right, so what was he doing during World War II? Oh, he must have been awesome at torturing Nazis while working for the French resistance during World War II, right? At least he's got that going for him. Nope. No. He was a Nazi. This piece of shit was a sympathizer. He was a senior security official in the Vichy government, a.k.a. the French Nazis. Yes. Mm. And now, remember in Casablanca, there was the Vichys, and we kind of went into it because during World War II, France was occupied by the Nazis. And so their northern African colonies were then also occupied by Nazis. So in order for, you know, the government to keep going on, the people who were running the government had to uh, work with the Nazis. And, you know, as you could say, like, there would be, could be average people who you would call, like, oh, they were Vichy, but there was really, like, no, I'm just trying to do what I need to do to keep my family alive, all right? Exactly. exactly. Not this piece of shit, because he was a senior security officer. Like, he wasn't just some guy in the bank or some... He's like, I'm being charge of this shit. Exactly. He was a fucking Nazi, okay? How do we know he's a Nazi? Aaron, do you want to sprinkle in an allegedly here? No, I don't want to sprinkle in an allegedly here because in 1998, after a career where he was the police chief of Paris, he was the mayor of a couple of cities, he was the budget, the minister of budget for France. And during all this time, in 1998, he was convicted of ordering the arrest and deportation of 1,560 Jews. That's men, women, 98? and elderly between 1942 and 1944. Uh, yes, oh, 1998 okay. was when he went on trial for his oh, 50 years later. Yeah, 50, 50 years, years later. later. Exactly. <laughs> After in that span of time, remember, he was a mayor. He was the minister of mm. budget. He was the police chief of Paris. OK, it's during this trial in 1998 that some of the classified archives relating to the massacre in 1961 and the research into the cover-up finally comes to light. Oh, okay. Because that's a big thing about this, is that a lot of people in France didn't know about this until basically... In, uh, in 2001. 2005. Like, well, yeah. When the, yeah the, the, sorry, right. Okay, so all this is just... Okay, I see. Yeah, because it... Timeline's it, lining up. Right, so in 2001, the director starts writing this. In 1998, which is just a few years before, all of this stuff like comes out about this guy that, I mean, all the French awards he has. And then finally the French court, they get him on his crimes against humanity, the Jewish people, 50 years later. And then all of this other stuff comes out. So how did this piece of shit, Nazi become the chief of police of, of France in 19, 1958. How did that happen? You know, they were like, I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure that the French were on the Allies and like hated the Nazis and stuff. Well, after the war, the resistance was like, all right, who was, it, who was in the Vichy's? Fuck all y'all. Fuck all y'all. Get the fuck out. And then they were like, hello? <laughs> Where is everyone? <laughs> Um, we need, okay, so so it's kind of like, you know, what happened with the United States in the, the Civil War. They were just kind of like, okay, all right. You know, 
basically like apologize and um a lot of you guys we understand got caught up in the war most of y'all weren't out here deporting jews and stuff you were just pushing papers and whatnot so all right come come back it, it's all good we'll 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 allow you to be reintegrated so there were a lot of people so then the their vichy police officers they they had when the war ended, they were kicked out because you were Vichy, you were against us. But then they were like, all right, you know, you can come back in. And so they, they reintegrated the police force. I wonder why. Great. Yeah. Great. Okay. So they're like, okay, that's cool. What about the Papone, though? I mean, he was a senior. Like, people knew that he was working with Nazis. But Papone... He had friends in high places. <laughs> oh. So he had he got a fake certificate basically saying he was part of the resistance, and everybody knew that was bullshit. General Charles de Gaulle, he was, I mean, de Gaulle Airport, like de Gaulle's a pretty famous name, especially for World War II and stuff, because he was the leader of Free France. Knew all about this piece of shit motherfucker Nazi. But he liked the cut of his police jib, which... Of course he did. Think about that That in policing. Yeah. Like, what is really policing? So, speaking of De Gaulle, he and this other guy around this time, they come up with a plan, and they call it Franc-Afriki. Franc okay. Know. It's big France, Africa, but like with French way to say it. So it's like France, Africa. And this is an actual plan. This is going to sound like a conspiracy theory, but trust me, it is 100% a bona fide thing that they came up with. And that was that France will use African political leaders and business to maintain control over their former colonies. Because, you know, Morocco, Tanzania, they, like, were, like, peace out. This was seven years into a war. They're like, this is unsustainable. These people, they're fighting for their freedom. Like, it's going to go. We are going to have to let it go in name, but we can still control everything. Okay? So that's just a pin. So put a pin in that. The Franc-Africa thing. Okay. France-Africa, basically. So back to the Paris police. Many, as I said, many of the former police officers were Vichy French, meaning that they, you know, co-worked with the Nazis and stuff. And the police officers who had been in the resistance, they were now in the minority. And oh. now they were being looked at as having communist ties. Because of during course. the resistance, there were, you know, there was a lot of people, and it was the same thing of like what, basically the same thing that happened in the U.S. with people mm -hmm. who were going for talking talking wild things about all men being created equal and uh, hold on free market is great but is capitalism the be all end all because capitalism is based on exploiting labor so like what if what if we what, we need to like look at this a little bit more no you're a communist so then they were looked at as like oh you're not one of us so in order to prove to these former Vichy police chiefs they were what I'll call real police, they had to crack a few heads. Because apparently that's how you show you're real police. Again, it goes back to what is policing? 
really. <laughs> Cracking a few heads. That's what it is. So the police, because there's this war going on, the police would round up anyone based on appearance. So here's the answer to your question, Ma. So you looked Algerian, you were getting rounded up. Tunisian, definitely getting rounded up. And Moroccan getting rounded up because they basically all look the same. But, oh, you say you're Portuguese? What about your Spanish looking? You got dark complexion. Italian immigrants who, you know, maybe they come from uh, Sicily. Basically, if you had a deep tan and curly hair, you best keep your ass home. It didn't matter. If you looked Algerian, you were going to get rounded up. So that pissed off a lot of people. Mm Mm-hmm. So then you had what's called the FLN. They mentioned, Georges mentions it in the movie. That was the National Liberation Front in Algeria. And so they were kind of the ones who were like, hey, (laughs) Algeria, France, get the fuck out of Algeria. We want to be independent. And, you know, they're hearing about what's going on in the cities in France and being rounded up and stuff. So the French, this uh, National Liberation Front, they started bombing. Now, the police will call them terrorists, like that they are bombing and make it out like they're bombing civilians and all of this stuff. No, they were bombing police. Their bombing targets was the, the Paris police and the French police because those were the ones going around just rounding up people based on looks and cracking heads. And we've just been through that. The police rounding up people because of what they looked like, cracking heads. Yeah, it's like sometimes when I go in and just look at history, I just really wonder how the Nazis didn't win. And like, because it yeah. seems like a lot of people kind of, they fought against them, but like, did they really, like, they seemed like they were on the same side. So it's kind of wild. Thank, Thank you, Wallace Simpson. Oh, yeah. Yes. Seriously. Indeed. So... So, yeah, so they, the French, they bombed, they killed 11 police officers. Okay. They, they did. That's what they did that. I mean, there's a, there's a war going on and hundreds of Algerians and other people based on looks are getting rounded up and put on home arrest and stuff. So that brings us to October 17th, 1961. The FLN asked all Algerians to come peacefully protest. We don't want any violence. Now, I read that they that people were frisked for weapons before like they were allowed to go on buses and stuff and I thought that that was the Algerian that that it was the FLN like frisking people to make sure like hey we want to go in and do this peacefully. peacefully. No. This were the cops. The cops frisked everybody to make sure that nobody was going with weapons. They tried to close down, they tried to lock down the city of Paris. And they, if the people were coming in, they frisked them to make sure that they had no weapons. So 30,000 people showed up. And Papa Nazi, he <laughs> said to his officers, this is a quote from him. You also must be subversive in the war that sets you against others. You will be covered. I give you my word on that. So he told the police officers going out there, like, basically, this is a war to people that they knew because they had checked them for weapons that they were unarmed people going to peacefully protest. And he was like, this is a war, and anything you do, don't worry. Nothing will happen to you. I have you covered. And 
as somebody who was a Nazi sympathizer and deported thousands of Jews to their deaths and is a, the police chief and rewarded with all of these, you know this man has friends in high places. So all the cops were like, oh, hell yeah. We get to go out here and do some real police work. Carte blanche. Any, exactly. <laughs> so they are, the police arrested 12,000 people and they took them to these these like locations like stadiums and stuff where the people would meet what they called the reception committee which was just the officers just beating them hello welcome get your beat just beating people they deported 15,000 people the next day just rounded up flew them back to Algeria for weeks unidentified bodies were, were was pulled from the river because people the, the police officers would bind their ha people's hands behind, you know, they were arrested and just throw them into the river. There was uh, skulls just cracked open, bodies with shotgun blasts and stuff. It was, it was a literal massacre in the streets of Paris in 1961. But officially, only three people died. Two of which... What? Yeah, two of which Papa Nazi said wasn't at the hands of the police officers. It was just like, huh, nothing to see here. And the French government and the French media, they 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 went with it. They were censored. The photographers took pictures because it's 1961, so people are like alive and very well remember it. There's pictures of it, and they took the pictures to the newspaper. And the newspaper was like, "These are great pictures, but we can't print this." And the guy's like, "What do you mean? This is France. Why can't you print this?" And he was like, "Because the paper will be seized." And it's like, "What? Yeah." This went all the way to the top. They were like, all of this gets shut down. So the French censored books, articles about that day, and they framed it as if, you know, the little stories that were come out, it was like, hey, we're at war with Algeria, and these are Algerian terrorists. They're wow. out here terrorizing. Yeah. And they claimed that the protesters were armed. Mm -hmm. And they knew good well that they weren't because they made sure that they weren't. So all of that goes on. It's just hush, hush. Nobody, you know, okay, well. And then it isn't until 1998 that this historian, Jean-Luc Einaldi, he accuses Papa Nazi of ordering the murders. And in 1998, Papa Nazi, he sues Jean-Luc for libel. And wow. Sean Lucas like, all right, come get it. Because guess what? I got all the receipts, except he didn't have the receipts. The archive, he didn't have access to it. The archivist had all the receipts. So the archivist came in and testified. And then the, then the government tried to, like, get the archivist in trouble and stuff because they were still like, oh. But then I think by that time, his um, Nazi trial wasn't going real great. And I think that... I didn't look at the dates and everything, but I think once you get convicted of ordering the deportation of 15,000 or 1,500 Jews to their death and you sympathize with the Nazis in France and you're found guilty of that, people are like, hey, wait a second, what else happened? And so then a whole bunch of stuff tried to get uncovered, but a lot of stuff was destroyed. Uh -huh. You know, like they, there would be... Um, accountings of bodies that are unidentified being put up and there would be, oh, how did this how did this person die? Obviously it was murder because of the condition of the body and it was just not investigated. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So in March 1962, Algeria won its independence. But remember how I said that there was that France-Africa thing? Oh, yeah. Jesus, I put a pin on it. Yeah. Well, so in 1962, Algeria did win its independence. But today, I learned of the existence of the West African franc, a currency that is used by eight countries in Africa. There's eight countries in Africa use the West African franc as currency, and six countries in Africa use the Central African franc as currency, which means that in Africa there are 14 countries to this day whose wealth is managed and controlled by the French. And so in 2012, Francois Holliday, he became the first French president to acknowledge that this 1961 massacre even happened. And Macron, in when it was the like 60 year anniversary, he would, you know, he said some word like, oh, this is disgusting and blah, 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 blah. But Macron has also said, and keep in mind, this is Macron. This is the guy who everybody was like, oh man, I hope he wins. Cause when he was going up against that in the election right. and stuff, like you're like, oh yes, Macron. Like, keep in mind. So he's been on the record as the caucasity here. Macron has criticized Africa for having shaky democracies. Like just been out here being like, yo, what's Africa? Like Africa's got a democracy. Africa can't get its act together. And it's like, maybe because they're exploiting, like you're exploiting their resources and their people and you control their wealth and like everything like the whole reason that it's shaky is because you put in these different uh, dictators and puppets and stuff because of this whole plan, this France Africa movement of here's your independence, but we still control you. And you can look up on a map of the French bases and where they are in Africa to this day. And and then this motherfucker has the caucasity to come out and be like, yo, what's Africa's problem? Jesus, they just they just uh, they just don't know how to govern themselves. Oh my gosh. It's just France be a France, man. I'll bet Papa Nazi was uh, responsible for all the Jews that were rounded up and put in the Hippodrome. That I, remember the book I read at the beach, Sarah's Key, and her, she was, and you got mad at me because I read it at the beach and I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you gonna bring a book to the beach? Where do you have to cry? He's not, it wasn't just him. I mean, it just shows that there are a lot of... I mean, the whole reason he was able to keep his place wasn't because, like, oh, we're just going to let this one Nazi guy in. That's just oh, yeah. shows how tenuous, oh, yeah. like, the, the whole thing is. And the whole get-down is, but he's got the right skin color. And the, the goal is, like, oh, now he's our bad guy, you know? Mm. Like, now he now he's can be torturing people for us. And you'd, it, rather, you'd rather have him in the tent pissing out than outside pissing in. Exactly. And so then people get mad about, like, oh, police reform and stuff. But it's like, no, the police are doing exactly what the police are meant to do. And that is uphold white supremacy. So is there any other cast we need to talk about? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the cast of, so the character of Majid, he... His parents 
went to this the protest and they disappeared and they never came back. Right. And so his yeah. he was going to be adopted by George's family and how his life would have been different because then he would have gotten the same education as George's and he would have gone to the same schools and he would have um, had access to that. He still would have had to, because of his Algerian looks being in France, dealt with that racism, but he would, his life would have been significantly different than what it ended up being is him living in his low income uh, um, housing. And and his life, that at least to me, it just looked like his body was just beaten down from having to do what I assume is just manual labor. And then his son came into that, no generational wealth, so his son was working under the same situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are to nerd alerts. I have none. Neither do I. All right, well... In 2000, this came out October 2005. This is very interesting. In January, at a costume party in 2005, Prince Harry is photographed wearing not just a not. This was very interesting, Ma. It's not just a Nazi costume, because it is. But he was wearing a Nazi German Africa Corps uniform at the costume party. And that was, yeah, that was Ramos forces in North Africa during World War II. And at the time, French Algeria was. Yeah, he was in North Africa. Yeah. And so I just thought it was wild that that was like, oh, I just, I knew it was a Nazi costume. I didn't realize it was North African. And that we're doing the movie, and it's about North Africa. So I was like, oh, that's wild. Speaking of the royals, George, George Charles married Camilla. In 2005. Mm-hmm. Oh. W was sworn in for a second term as president in the U.S. And we thought, wow, they can't get dumber than this. <laughs> and yet, we found a way to excel. Man, that guy, his... The revisionist history on George W. Bush yeah. is wild. Yeah. It's just wild. Um, YouTube was launched in 2005. Oh, my God. Wow. That's that's young. Well, we're old, too, Teeny. <laughs> that's well, another thing about I mean, this. <laughs> that's the thing about this podcast. Yeah. I mean, we have old. I just figured YouTube would be like, Oh, it was launched in nineteen ninety. We didn't know about it until mm-hmm. yeah. No, it wasn't until two thousand five. It it is. I say that it's that's like oh, it's because we're old. But like to me, when we mention doing a movie in two thousand five, I think of that as being modern. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are people New. who are. I mean, I do too. Yeah, I do too. I was just expecting YouTube to be around for longer. No, that, but yeah. to pe- but to young people, they will think like, oh, that was 2005 yeah, was so true. long they were ago. In yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of that's what I'm getting. Yes, I see, is I see. That that whole thing of like, oh, I think. But as you get older, you're like, oh, that was yesterday. Um, on that's Thursday about the 70s. Yeah, ex- that, that's yes, yesterday. that's exactly what I'm saying. You're, you're like, oh, that's not an old movie. We're doing the 70s. And like to me, I'm like, oh, that's, no, that's old. But you're like, it was yesterday. And I was like, you, oh, 
No, YouTube just happened. It was just launched. So they're like, no, that was a while ago. Um, on Thursday, July 7th, the date known as 7-7, there were four coordinated suicide bombings hit London during the morning commute. 52 people were killed and 700 people were injured. And that kind of just goes into more of the surveillance because, right, you know, you're, I mean, the, the world was extremely jumpy. And to tie into, you know, the whole massacre thing, I remember, I remember my dad saying to me, <clears throat> they're not like, you know, being scared of like terrorists and stuff and like, well, how they're doing like this guerrilla warfare. And like, how do you know that like, they're not going to win? And my dad was like, cause they're brown. They, they, they'll just round up all the brown people. <laughs> like, and I was just like, how do you know? And it's like, cause that's what they do. <laughs> and you're like, history. Oh, yeah. I guess he's right. And finally, um, to put more of a little cast button on this, Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. So <clears throat> the top films worldwide, number five was King Kong, number four, War of the Worlds, number three, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, number two was Star Wars Episode Three: The Revenge of the Sith, and number one was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Oh, ah. movies. <laughs> the Oscars Best Picture nominees were Munich, Good Night and Good Luck, Capote, which I thought was weird because we just did Murder by Death last week, Brokeback Mountain, ah. and the winner, this is why Oscars 2005, very controversial because the winner of Best Picture that year, Crash. Yes. Crash seems to get more controversial every year. It just keeps getting like people just bringing it back up. Yeah. They're you like, think, "Oh, surely we're done with." No, there's something else we need to look at. So I haven't seen it since it came out. I just it, it we're tickles me all. We're gonna have to do the... that one. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so because I thought it was too modern, but <laughs> our old asses. It's... <laughs> okay, negative reheatable. On the streets, and yes, okay, so the fact that the Algerian massacre happened in Paris, I'm going to go with, yes, this is Paris. Um, But any French streets, those cars, how did they get out after they were boxed in with parallel parking? Those cars were so close to each other and going both directions. I know. I thought that it was hilarious. the streets are very narrow, huh? Yeah. yeah, and they're very small. I did think it was funny of like all of that, and yet France allows parking on the wrong side of the street. Just <laughs> doesn't doesn't seem to just in my mind it doesn't jive. I'm just like oh, and yet they think every anything goes, but that's just wild to me. I remember when I I hadn't moved to California. We were out on our co-op, and <laughs> Evan parked because it was just so you know one of those streets where you had the permit parking and you had the final part it was impossible to find a place yep. to park and he found a spot and he had and it was on the uh, the other side of the street and he just pulled in and i was just like i don't think you can do this and he was like why not and i didn't have a good enough reason 
to say why not. It just it just felt wrong. But you know, I just I just rode with it. And, like the next morning, it was like, yep, sure enough, you cannot do that. <laughs> I see now. It makes perfect sense to me. If you're on that side of the street and you can pull, I did it one time at school when we had the, we had a big loop around where the buses would come. And then there was a straight through on the other side and there was street parking. And so I came around the loop and just went into the last spot. So I was going the opposite direction of traffic. Well, the principal made sure to get a hold of me on the uh, public address system Uh-oh. <laughs> and tell me I needed to move my car because it was illegally parked. Yeah, it was great. Um, the drowning of the Algerians. Now, this is, okay, so um, Juliette Binoche, Anne, Laurent, and Georges, we're having a, a heated discussion and in the background was a TV and the TV was on a news program and I wanted to hear what they were talking about. But the subtitles only talked about what George and Anne were talking about. Do you think it was about the... Yes, I do. I think I it was too. an anniversary of the massacre. It wasn't. it wasn't. No, they were talking about um, what was going on in like Iraq and and protests, like in the Middle East. Oh, okay. Because oh, but yeah, to it maybe. Because yeah. that was the. I mean, like that was like four years after. That yeah. Was, you know, that was when everybody was. Or we're like everybody's. We're starting to pick up that everybody has weapons of mass destruction. And yeah. Or somebody's gonna need to get blown up. Cause yeah. As a so we, had to go and like, we had to go unseat Saddam Hussein because he threatened W's daddy. Okay, there weren't any weapons of mass destruction. That is, those are my negatives. Others? Mine is being watched. Yeah, that is a creepy feeling, I would think. I wouldn't know. Hidden cameras when you don't know that. Like, you know, public places, obviously. Like, you got, you know. And then walking out in front of bike traffic. Yeah, exactly. So he was he was a um, a black man who'd almost uh, been severely hurt by a doofus and was just expressing himself. He wasn't aggressive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are mine. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Mine is, okay, for people who take a big issue, and uh, justifiably so, for being under surveillance, Georges and Anne sure did like clear furniture. They had a, their dining room table was clear. They have the bar situation was clear. They had another table that was clear. Yeah, it was like y'all's coffee table. Coffee table. Yeah, just just completely clear. I was just like, man, y'all. Well, you can't hide anywhere. I have. This is my. I know. Basically, I don't think we're gonna know this. After, spoiler alert. Maji calls George back to his place. I was like, (laughs) hey, I wanted you here, and then takes himself out the game in a rather dramatic fashion. Highly dramatic fashion and right in front of the door too. 
did George go to the movies after that? Yes. <laughs> well, he needed an alibi. No, how did he get out? He he had to pull that door, which had to move. My... Or did he crawl out of the window? That man ain't agile. <laughs> <laughs> she already called him a dough boy. Um, no, I, I I think he just had to decompress. Yeah, I think he, he called the police because he's like, but surely no one's going to blame me. I'm a white man here in this low-income housing place. This is very, very easy to explain this. And then they came, and then he was like, well, I don't really want to explain this to my wife. So so then he, I guess he just went to the cinema. It was just a very French thing to do. <laughs> I wonder what was showing. I, I tried to pay attention, but none of the posters seemed familiar to Probably me. Probably King Kong. <laughs> Probably. You went to see Narnia. Um, and then, oh, and then this was my final one, because remember we did Paris Blues? And yes. a big part of that was Sidney Poitier's character being like, I'm not going back to a racist-ass America, mm-hmm. and all that. And I was doing all this research about it, and I'm like, huh. So I had to go and look. Because Paris Blues came out in September 1961. So that would oh. be before. <laughs> and oh. not, that, not that they would know about the massacre, but I was just kind of no. like, oh. But I'm like, Sidney Poitier, not Algerian looking. So. No, but he would have st- still been rounded up. I don't know. That's the interesting thing with the cast. It's because it was saying Portuguese, Italian, Spanish people. The, the northern French people, I think in our minds we think of Africa and we just think, like, Africa. But, like, northern Africans as as a whole in the complexion is, are lighter than, you know, more the rest my, of Africa. My facialist is from Morocco. Lovely lady. Right. And Lovely. she isn't – you wouldn't consider her dark-skinned. Not at all. Right. So So in my mind of the cast, I was kind of like, oh, maybe – Maybe that's part of one of the reasons why he was treated so well is that he wasn't Algerian. Ah, he was darker, so so he obviously wasn't Algerian, so he's not a threat. Right. So he's getting um, treated the way that in France, the way that probably an Algerian person that came to America would get treated, you know, like a, a crisscross kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like the Algerian that comes to America probably gets would treated better than Sidney Portier in exactly. America, but in France, the Algerian gets treated mm-hmm. worse than Sidney Portier, if that makes sense. So it's the paper bag thing uh, on opposite. It's it's whatever the, the cast is mm-hmm. that is about, but it's all about money. The answer is all about money, so it's, it's whatever workforce you're exploiting, that's going to be mm-hmm. what that is. Okay, Maybe. so we're to positives. My, uh, my positive, well, you saw a lot of MVN water in there. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. People know. And my other favorite is je ne sais pas, because I took three years of French. Why in the world I thought I could handle third year French when I couldn't handle first year French? But that we would we had a language lab, and this was like state-of-the-art thing, back in the day and you would go in and you would put on headphones and and you would hear French and you're supposed to answer questions and such and 
the the teacher could listen in on different people and my french name was charlotte oh yeah <laughs> see and who knew that that would come back because by the time she got to liz weber all the good names had been taken so charlotte was the only one left so i hated that name anyway little did i know i was going to hate it even more no not really not really and um oh. so she would come in and she'd go charlotte and i'd go you shouldn't say bye <laughs> i just don't know i don't know oh that's what it means i don't know yeah oh yeah nice advice is nick that's i don't know yeah <laughs> exactly <point>. i think <laughs> in italian it's non so yeah we can speak the uh i don't know i don't know language <laughs> yeah God, other positive so stupid i feel so stupid for not knowing languages it's so we're but so it's dumb. because we don't have like when we were in germany that should be a drinking game whenever how you many times do we bring it up but you cross the border and you're talking french you cross the border and you're talking um a, a, a different language and so they practice it all the time it's not like you're in America and everybody around you is speaking American and uh, that's all you hear. You get to hear the other languages and you get to, you know, practice them in real time. I think that's a huge indicator, although we really don't do our Spanish speaking friends any. No, the, I think the, I think the real thing is that we don't have to like it's it's. Yeah. And I mean, I mean that as in a, in a negative way, in a superiority, in a, a privilege way. Yeah. 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 Uh, because even like you were saying like, Ma, oh, when you would go, but also everybody spoke English, not everybody, but enough people spoke English and would want to practice their English. That there and wasn't they spoke really enough a... English that they could, that we could get along with my broken German, their broken English. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. part of that's part of what the British Empire, the sun never setting on the British Empire, made it yeah. so that English was, you know. But yeah, there, there's that guy. Okay. Um, I had their house. I really loved their house, and yeah. they were in a little garden play. Like I liked that. Um, made me want some like hedges and stuff on our. Yes, farm. because it was very private. Yeah. Um, the bookshelves, even though they don't need that many books, but. I like their bookshelves. That was mm -hmm. nice on the TV. Um, dinner parties, fun. Why go spend money on a meal? I mean, well, yeah, lots of reasons why, but it's, you know, nice. You got everybody come over. Mm -hmm. You just, just, you know, you don't have to worry about the check. You don't have to worry about getting flagging somebody down for a drink. But also, um, you like you like to cook. So, like to me, I'm like I know. A bunch of reasons why I would have a dinner oh. party <laughs> but you like to cook and bake and do all of that stuff I wish we had like a nice dining room that we could have dinner like our dinner parties are kind of like you have to be in the summertime yeah, yeah exactly and you're so lucky in Brooklyn to have that outdoor space that you can do that yeah we have two of our very good friends who also have an apartment with a backyard and we frequently we just have each other over, you know, we cook, whatever, mm -hmm. we do that. But then we realized a couple of like months ago, we were like, we've never been out to eat together. 
Never been out to eat together. We live like a mile away. Yeah. What if they're horrible to waiters? Well, no, like we <laughs> and we work together, so we've been out to eat in like oh, a, okay. like a work setting, but like the our both of our couples have like never like I don't know that's somehow not an option for us to like go out to <laughs> That's funny. I don't know. Um, the end. I liked the end because I didn't see the part. I didn't. Mm-hmm. See it. I, I literally had to Google the meaning of the movie when I finished it, and I did not see the two of them. Yeah, I had to, I had to rewind because I was going, and then when the credits come up, I'm like, I've missed something here. So yeah. I had to I rewind. It, and then and I, I was I was really looking at all the. I know. I, I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to be looking at? There. I don't know. Yeah. But even yeah. when you see it, I kept waiting, and I'm like, oh. That, that's it what does it mean yeah um i liked the shots i liked the long shots because i feel like it gave me something to do i was trying to like look for something it was like it was like um where's waldo or something like exactly you're figure out what you're looking exactly. for yeah um and then the french language it is a no. very mm-hmm. nice sounding language it is i wish i'd paid more attention <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Nobody, I just told, pretend- nobody told Blair I said that, but. <laughs> I just pretend that I can- I understand French because I'm reading it and I'm hearing them and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm speaking French. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did like hearing their actual voices doing their French stuff and then reading the sub. After a while, you forget that you're reading the subtitles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, and if it, if it's something where there's a lot, like you know, luckily it's different when you're in a movie theater, but when you're at home, you just like pause it and rewind it and be like, mm-hmm. wait, what? What did and I then, just miss? Yeah, and if, especially if it's like a a good scene, then you can like first go through and read it, and then next go through and just watch them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. was that was that all, Teeny? Mm-hmm. I have. Uh, George's talk show reminded me of the McLaughlin group. Yes, didn't it? What drink? When we lived in Germany, we had one channel. And on Mondays, when my mom would do my hair, it was the McLaughlin group. So, man, for a good, like, in the early, late 80s, early 90s, I knew all my politics. You a sure little did. right, a little right. Very right sided. So, yeah. My parents would have to gently just, just like, um, recalibrate me but they never did it in a heavy-handed way it was always like later it would be like some story or pointing something out and i'd be like oh yeah McLaughlin eleanor, didn't bring that up. eleanor on that show was so screechy she was the only uh liberal and, and and it was just such a screechy female which is why he had her on there mm-hmm. so that nobody would listen to her because she was a screechy female yeah but you knew your current events. I didn't know my current events <laughs> at that time. Um, let's see. Oh, wait, those were... Okay, the, I like that there was no music. It made me actually, like, lean into it. Like, yeah. I, I didn't even realize it. I was, yeah. very in, I was very invested the whole time. I was, too. I thought, for sure, after that first scene, 
And and we had gotten a text from Ma with the tears in her eyes, be like, "You guys are gonna hate me for this." And so I'm like, "I Great. really did think you were gonna." What is this me? gonna? And then we see the first shot, and I was like, "Oh!" But then I settled in, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is this is a this is a French film. This is kind of what they do. This is." And so I I like I settled into it. I knew once the Algerian took some, took himself out that you were totally in. I At was that in point, before I went, that. Oh, they are totally in. <laughs> I was in before that. I I was just like, wait, what's going on? I don't understand. Um, and I had so the 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 no music. I like that. And he had said that music Henneke, the director, said that um he chose no music because music lacks realism in his opinion. The music is in a movie, then it he feels like it takes you out of the realism. Um, I have so this movie, man, all Friday night, all I was dreaming about it because I was trying to figure out the mystery. Because this movie ends, there's no way to spoil it because it doesn't tell you. It doesn't. It's like a who done it, and at the end, it doesn't tell you. You don't know who did it, and you don't know. And so I, I kept dreaming on Friday night that I was trying to solve the mystery and it all hinged on a yellow Lay's potato chip bag in my dream. That was the, that was the big key to it. And I don't know. That's just what it what makes no sense. Which that's why I, I really liked this movie because it was so, I just kept thinking about it. And yeah. Henneke said that, Haneke said that um, it was secondary. The whodunitness of it was of secondary importance to the exploration of guilt and collective memory. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, oh, man, that is true. Because because of this film, I went and did this whole deep dive mm-hmm. on, you know, the massacre. And I learned about North African, the history of North Africa and more bullshitness that the French did more evidence of policing and what policing really is. Um, and when I say really is, is it's like beating people up and busting heads and killing people. That is real policing. That's what it was meant to be. So that, and then it made me, then I started thinking about George and how he was a six-year-old kid and that he didn't know like just of what he knew and so then of like the the adult him in feeling with the guilt because he was six so he couldn't really comprehend all of the politics of it but yet he was still at six old enough to know that like the white supremacy of it in that Majid's family worked for his family and even if he couldn't put it into words he knew that on some like he was just aware of that you know what i'm saying like he didn't want he didn't want dude to be his equal his brother yeah and but then also there's he didn't want that but then there's also i could see it that an idealization of that would be that yeah because he was a six-year-old kid and he didn't want another brother he didn't want to share his parents even if dude had been Mm blonde-eyed 100 Mm percent french I could see him not wanting a brother. Like some people, <laughs> some people were very, it was very shaky bringing someone else into this house. Like, there was a whole lot of pressure on me. 
the shit out of little boy. Because <laughs> she told me, do not bring a girl into this house. Um, you know, what I was just thinking of as a negative is you never really know who you're married to. Like Juliet Binoche was just finding out, whoa, you, you, you like totally sabotaged this young little boy so that he couldn't be your brother. I felt like she was really shocked with who she yeah, married. Yeah, she didn't like that. that. But he was also six. Like when you're six, like yeah, that's true. I mean, you can't really hold him that accountable. Yeah, and also it really wasn't his fault. Right, right. Mm -hmm. On all levels, I mean, the parents needed to sit him down and talk him through it. And how do you feel about this? We're not going to go forward unless you are on board. Well, but Ma, uh, you just watched this French movie. It seems like that's not what the French do. <laughs> like in these Nor do the Germans. Yeah, talk. There was never talk a sit face down through. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. No, that didn't happen. No, no. Okay, so I didn't write down any quotables because I was reading the quotables. So we were going on to another quotable. Did anybody write down any quotables? The only one I have is just uh, not it's not really a quotable, but it's funny in the sense of like his mom was asking how he was doing, George's, George's, and he mm -hmm. said. Hero's battling puberty, Anne's overworked, and so am I. That's about it. And then, like, later on, he just said, no great highs, no great lows. We're all very busy, and that's about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if that doesn't sum up life, I don't know what does. Exactly. I Yeah, I have a quotable from his mom from that scene, too. And she goes, are you less lonely because you can sit in the garden? Do you feel less lonely in the metro than at home? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And then this isn't a quote from the film, but I thought that it made sense. And so this is a quote from the director via the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche. Oh, oh watch out. There are a thousand truths. It's a matter of perspective. Hmm. Exactly. Because we have no idea if Majid was coughing up blood or if George is yeah, made up what that he was coughing up blood. That? Yeah. And we don't know. And we don't know about the chicken. Like it seemed like when he was coming in with an axe, that seemed like it part of a nightmare. But the whole story of killing the rooster, if you're looking at it from a Jeet point of view, it's oh he told me to kill the rooster mm -hmm. because that's what his dad told him and I want to, to do, you know... I, I wanted to do the right thing. Right. And the, the coughing up of the blood, was that because, like, when he killed the rooster, or was that because he was sick and had tuberculosis? Like, we have, we have no idea. And then it goes to, like, who do you think... Like, at the end, when it's Majid's son and um, George's son talking... Like, what are they talking about? So what do you think? So I read a Red I went down a Reddit hole about it. Okay. Um, and they kind of did like a process of elimination to figure out who did the cameras. Okay. 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 
So Georges, a lot of people think that they were, that the hidden tapes were either conscious or subconscious act performed by Georges himself due to suppressed guilt he had harbored throughout the years. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I do. This person said, I agree that he felt responsible for Majid. This, um, like that explains the recurrent dreams and visions he experienced throughout the movie. But they don't think that he did the tapes because the hidden camera in Majid's apartment like that one doesn't really make sense. Um, he would, it would have been probable that Georges was able to sneak into Maggie's apartment, sneak back out, go back in mm-hmm. to confront him, and mm-hmm. then sneak back in and act out to retrieve the camera. Like that was a lot of going in and out, right? And then during the dinner party, Georges hears the doorbell at the door, he goes to see who it is, but nobody's been seen. He goes back inside and finds the tape on the floor, so he couldn't have been responsible for it, right? And they don't really think. Anne did it. Um, nothing hints to her being involved in any way. She just yeah. I never. I never even thought of her being a part of it. Yeah, Pierrot. Really, but it's Julia Binoche. I'm like, mm. I know, but it seems like she didn't know about this childhood stuff, and it's all because from she's the a child. Great actress. Oh, she is. Pierrot. Pierrot. They. Oh, they wanted us to think that he did it for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did. Um, the final scene does show him and Majid's son speaking to one another. I think that this would have been Majid telling him what's going on for the most part. Um, but yeah, uh, he said, this person said, Know how Majid's son has a grip on Piero's arm as he leads him back away from the crowd. I believe if this is in fact happening within the reality, well, that's the other thing. You have right. to figure out what's happening as a dream and what's happening as the movie's reality. Then I'm certain this was not the first time they'd spoken with one another. If this was in fact their first encounter, I'm sure director Michael Haneke would have been very critical to depict it so. The audience was not meant to hear the conversation, so all we can go by is body language. Um, so it said, then let's get back to the movie's reality. The scene prior to the final scene is a dream sequence showing George's childhood home where younger Majid is being locked out of the house and then shoved inside of a car. Mm-hmm. The scene acts as one, as a reminder of guilt, of George's inescapable guilt, two, a tool to conflict the audience into um, emphasizing something with Majid. This it's not written very well. And three, a possible hint that the final scene could also be a dream. <gasps> uh huh. No, something um, just occurred to me. I'm like, what? Oh, continue. Um, he said, My thoughts on this theory. Let's focus on what Mr. Laurent did just before he went to bed. He comes home from work, takes two sleeping pills, and then calls his wife and tells her not to wake him up. It's possible that director Michael Haneke made George's character take two sleeping pills as a sort of subliminal hint that two dreams would follow. Oh. Oh. So, but we don't know. What? Um, they don't think Majid did it. They, like, he didn't do it. Um, there's too many things. I didn't think Majid did it. No. I think his son did it. Mm. Um. So there's only three possible suspects with inform- with the two things they need. Information on George's and, and Majid's past and access to Majid's apartment. So 
Majid, Majid's son and Michael Haneke himself are the only ones who have all the information. So I think Majid's son is the most likely thing. Hmm. But then a lot of people just think they're like, it doesn't matter at all about the hidden cameras. Like that's not the point of the movie. So it just has to do with the guilt. Yeah. And the idea, maybe they're, you know, I still, the thing that I, the only answer I haven't gotten that I'm still most confused about is the scene with the blood coming out of his. And Roger Ebert wrote in an article. Did you see that one? No. Because I got, I chose this because of his list. Um, Roger Ebert wrote something called A Mystery Hidden in Plain Sight. And it starts by saying, how is it possible to watch a thriller intently two times and completely miss a smoking gun that's in full view? Yeah, I did. Only on my third trip through Michael Haneke's cache did I consciously observe a shot which forced me to redefine the film. And at the very end of the article, it goes on talking about the movie, and he says, um, uh, that, you know, he discusses many explanations for cachet and points out none are necessary. Um, well, okay, sorry. In an interview on DVD, Haneke is pleased by confounding our expectations. Those raised on the mainstream cinema, he says, are accustomed to an ending that resolves things mm -hmm. so they can leave the film and forget it. He discusses many, explana many explanations for cache, where's the cache, and points out none are necessary. Yet there is the film's final shot, which has been so much discussed, showing two characters meeting who shouldn't know each other. What does this mean? Does it solve anything? Haneke is delighted that he constructed the shot, so about half of the viewers failed to even notice them in a large canvas filled with extras. That works for him, too. Now I call your attention to the shot I missed the first time through. You'll find it on the DVD centering around 20 minutes and 39 seconds. You tell me what it means. It's the smoking gun, but did it, but did it shoot anybody? And it's the scene where he's, that goes to the little boy and he's like, the blood's coming out of his mouth or whatever. Yeah. I still don't know what it means. So that, that's the, wait, no, he didn't kill him, did he? Because, no, no he couldn't have killed him. Well, we don't know because it's an it's all about how much of a reliable narrator that we think that George's is and if these are his dreams that's the thing that's about the quote it's his perspective so is it like because he had tuberculosis and he was coughing up blood because that was what he had said to his parents that he was coughing up blood did you rewatch that scene teeny yeah and i it's like so short i couldn't i couldn't get anything from it so my thing figure out my thing with it was that I didn't think that it was Majid Majid nor did I think that it was his son because of cast because if his son I definitely didn't think it was the the dude his no, father not Majid. No. but his son if he was like they lived in an upper middle class uh neighborhood and I do, I feel like if his son was out setting up a camera or just milling about, that there would be these herons That's true. or charlottes in But not France. at night. If he just set up one at night. Yeah, but then know. wouldn't he be more distraught because this whole thing caused his father to kill himself? Yeah, well, that was my, well, so here's my thing. My theory is it is him because then... He was so dead set on making George's feel 
the guilt about his father, about, um, you know, everything he did to his father. And he, you know, he said he wanted to, here's the poetic part of it. He told Georges, oh, I'm good. I just wanted to see what it's like to live the life of a man who lives with so much guilt or whatever. And we thought that meant just by the videotapes or like observing him. But now it means he's going to have to live with the guilt that he killed his father because all of his father killed himself because George's like this whole thing. Because of everything. That's that my after. thought. Yeah. So now the irony is he's going to have to live the life of a man who has so much guilt because because of he did this whole filming thing, then George's killed his father. Hmm. I I just I don't, know. don't I just I don't know like may yeah I can see that point it's just He's the only me, logical one for me. See, I think that it was interesting that Georges his TV show it's a literary TV show on public broadcasting, and his wife is in the publishing world. So to me, I think that it could very easily be someone who is doing research. Who maybe came across and and found it was doing work on the the 1961 massacre, and you know in these liberal circles and stuff, and I just feel it's somebody white. This seems like a white on white crime using POCs as pawns to me because. So you're because, saying somebody we never met. Right. Because okay, that's possibility. or one of his friends, like like that one guy who was kind of being really French and creep. Sorry to see like French, but hey, you this podcast you earn it. That, the one the who friend, his wife might have been having an affair with. Yes, that guy. Yeah. I just because okay. He's likely. Oh, he is very likely. It's yeah. way easier for somebody who is for a white man. I'm gonna assume that it's a man. It it seems maleish in crime, but it could be a female. But I I think that it is a. It's definitely. A, to me, I think it's definitely a white person because they could go, they would have, you need, like, this is 2005, so the quality of that videotape was pretty good. It was in high definition, so those that wasn't cheap in 2005. Although, right. like, so you have to have the money to do that. You have to set it up. You're like, oh, well, then what about Majid's house and setting up the camera? Well, he lived in low-income housing, so... It would be easier for a white person to get in and out of that, just yeah, being like, I'm expecting, I'm with the government, I'm inspecting, I'm setting, I'm, um, I'm fixing the water filter, you know, like whatever. They, to get in and out, mm -hmm. he could just be like a, a worker man. He could, the son could, maybe the son isn't the one sending the tapes because that just seemed real passive aggressive and like whitish to me. You know, like the son, okay. Right? So the, and the son was really like aiming his anger at the mother with the supposed affair with the dude you're talking about right now. The the French, fr what was his name? Perrault. Perrault and the dude that the mother worked with, who yeah. was their friend. Mm -hmm. Because he was, that was, that was a big part of the storyline. He was mad at her because he assumed she was having an affair with him. Yeah, I just, it just seems like it was somebody who could have easily been researching it and, and doing it. I just, 
I basically am of the camp. It's anybody but those two, but the two POC people, which I mean, it's Occam's razor then because then it's like, oh, but the people who are most likely, but it just didn't seem. But then the whole thing is written by this white guy. So how am I you know, going to bring in this aspect of it when this whole stemmed from this guy's mind? Yeah. Does that make sense? And it all goes back to last week's movie where they were making fun of murder mysteries where you bring in an unknown at the end of it and that's who did it. Yep. Oh, you're right. That's what we do on Gone with the Post. I mean, but the whole reason that he, to me, that this is a successful film and said it set out to do what it wanted to do Mm -hmm. because... The whole time, I'm like, man, like, I was doing the research, and I'm like, man, France, like, damn, that's, like, some really fucked up shit. And you're like, damn, that's, but he was six, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, I said that I didn't want, don't bring home a girl when I was four, you know? Yeah. And if you had brought home a girl, then you'd be like, oh, you're, she said not to bring home a And it's like, that was something I said when I was four. And, you know, this kid, he's six. And he's growing up in this in this French society that is fucked up. And hot, hid everything. Because his parents are complicit in that as well. Because mm-hmm. they were around. They went to... they. He said that, the, that they went to Paris to find his parents. Majid's parents. And remember, they used a racial slur to say, like, oh, you're, you're lucky to be rid of them. So there yeah. were a lot of people who went looking for people and were told, oh, you know, say, hey, no, nothing to see here. Keep it moving. And they didn't. It wasn't like they, um, I guess if they tried, because I did read that there were police officers who did write an anonymous, like in 1961, an anonymous statement, a letter basically saying like what happened was deplorable and that those who did it should be punished for it and you know papa nazi he was out to find who who were the officers that wrote that letter and it was um anonymous until like years years later probably like around when this movie's coming out that one of the guys came out he was like yeah i was in the french resistance so i was on that side and it was disgusting um but we couldn't say anything because all the people high above us they were going to do whatever it took to protect like and there's there's pictures th- that they have that's on the Sign River, with the Seine, and it's spray painted "We drown Algerians here," written in oh. French. So it's just I I think that it that it's fascinating because here's this thing that happened that a whole bunch of French people didn't know happened, but a whole bunch of French people didn't know what happened, and didn't teach it and didn't make it a thing and made it quiet and made it like. Oh, and put it spin on like we're at war. And it's the same thing that happens in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And with like not teaching history and putting a spin on it and, and making it so it's like, oh, we want police reform. But it's like reform what? Like the police are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And there, there are a lot of people who are fine with that. And there are a lot of people in Paris who are fine with the Algerians being thrown in the river and drowned. Mm-hmm. And they're living with their guilt. But are they? Because well, he, because he didn't. It seemed like he was only living with it when we got to this movie. Yeah. Like that's when it came up, which is a, then another interesting thing about 
the movie because it's not like we he goes to his mom and he, and that seemed like that had been the first time that he had talked about that whole thing with his mom. Right. And she just said that was a very difficult time. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It's very white. <laughs> Did you see like just put put her in a put her in a, in the put some humidity on that face and have have her have a fan and she'd be like, I do declare, I just I just don't <laughs> want to talk about it. It was just such a You're giving me a case of the vapors. <laughs> Okay, well, my LVP was what the fuck happened, but the whole point of the movie was you don't know and you, you keep thinking about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess my LVP is Papa Nazi. <laughs> he's a, he's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> my he, he's up for a fuckboy. Oh, yeah, I got I to gotta write him in. Mine is France. France, come here and hold these L's. You got Haiti, you got North Africa, lest we not forget Vietnam. Yeah, <laughs> you got thank you. The West African Frank, the Central African Frank. Y'all just continuing. Just and, and then remember, like around this time, we had to stop eating. They, we weren't allowed to call them French fries because France was like, <laughs> no, we, <laughs> you, you Americans, so you Americans are being too much. And meanwhile, it's like. You? Pot. Kettle. What the fuck? <laughs> My MVP was Juliette Binoche. I mean, she's oh. amazing. And and not knowing her language, but just the way she delivered her lines and I, yeah, she was she was good. Yeah, I have her as my honorable mention. My MVP is what the fuck happened. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. And I like the objective and subjective versus subjective shots. I like yeah. that too. I have, like, it's in that, this the director, because there's a lot of, mm-hmm. as far as like filmmaking and stuff that I didn't even get to really delve into. And there's there's stuff with the, the, the books that he has, there's stuff with yeah. how the shots are framed, there's all this different kind of stuff. The, that final scene, it was scripted out and written between the the two sons, but no, he swore the actors to never reveal what the scene was about, mm-hmm. what they were saying, and he's never discussed it. And I just think it's oh. fascinating because everything, everything was intentional. Yes. Mm. So, if Julia was your MVP, what honorable mention? The director was my. Oh, 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 okay. I didn't recast it. I didn't recast it either. And, okay, my tasties where there was no music. Um, this was uh, of the director Haneke. Uh, his most mainstream film. Oh, made. shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a rather interesting tasty. And um, that that the two sons start talking at the end of the film. That was all I had. Yeah. I have the Han- Haneke. He's used Georges and Anne Laurent 
as character names in other films before. And he liked that because like reusing the character names, it kind of strips that people aren't like, what does the names mean? It's just kind of oh, like, okay. like an, an every person. And he's just like puts that on there. Um, and I have that this was disqualified from best foreign language film at the Oscars. Why? Yeah. Because this was an international production. So it was France, Austria, Germany, and Italy all ponied up the money to make this film. But it was submitted as Austria's official entry. But French is not predominantly the language of Austria. So under the rules of the time, it wasn't acceptable. That seems like bullshit. And what? Like, they finally changed the rules. But yeah, can you think? Because you're, you would, that's some, like, that's cast right there. Because mm-hmm. you're, exactly. think of all the minority languages that are spoken on these different countries, and they're getting put in, and it's like, oh, no, I'm sorry, you can't be in that because uh, you're Austrian and you're predominantly German French isn't the predominant language, so yeah. It and it was there was controversy, and um, it wasn't until like now any language is acceptable as long as it is in English. Any it's any foreign language, but that is like wild uh-huh. bullshit. But the French and Germans, man, they yeah, they love to hate on each other. They seems like yeah they love to hate on each other unless it's somebody else that they oh, can yeah. identify. And then they're oh, like, yeah. Excuse us, would you please just give us your resources so we can just plunder it and um, use all of, like your banks just ha- or like we just get all the money, all the resources, and then we can just hate each other. And I don't. Exactly. They, and they're mad. Like the nerve of the Algerians to be like. We want our country back. <laughs> we want to we want to rule this. And it's like, fine, here you go. But you have to use our currency. So that means that I got Wow. That's just that blew my mind today. I gotta write that down in the things that blew mind. It's the, yeah, and, the West um, African Frank. Because when Europe went to the Euros, North Africa was still doing the African Frank, right? Yeah, you you think that wow. France wanted that to go into the Euro pot? They were probably like, "Hey, that's a different currency, and it's not in Europe." So, what do you what do you want us to do? Wow. Okay, well, this has been a cachet slash hidden. Um, I'm pleased that it was well more well received than I expected. So next week we are doing. I believe it's Aaron pick, right? No, it's me, right? <gasps> Teeny pick. I was, I was like, no, because I went through. I made sure. I was like, oh, oh yeah, my gosh, yeah, yeah. Me? Willard, murder by death, and then me. Okay. Teeny pick. Okay. Uh oh. I think there's a typo in something, but I think this is from 1967. 1967. Down, I Googled. Um, black actors robbed of Oscars. Ooh. 
Um, okay. Well, what's your guess is on? definitely Sydney Poitier time. In the heat of the night. Yep. In the nice. heat of the night. What a great pick. I've been wanting to see this. And so we talked about Sydney Poitier a couple of times in this film and this podcast. Um, also fitting for this week because it, I believe, takes place in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Oh. Because we got a, a little thing going we got on. A little in a game few hours. happening today. The one article I said, I read, it kept saying in the heat of the night was in 1982, but there is this an album called In the Heat of the Night that was produced that was out in 1982 so i think they just made a, a typo there yeah and there was the show because in the 80s y'all watched the uh, show okay yes. maybe that's why they got confused rollins rollins and uh, his wife i loved his wife um but it's uh so sydney oh shit <laughs> technology technology people I just deleted it instead of clicking on it but basically Sidney Poitier didn't get the Oscar and somebody else did get it for best lead actor who wasn't really the best at the lead roles and and well we'll talk about it I'm sure, it'll yeah, I'm come sure we'll, up. yeah I'll tell you Oscar's so white mm-hmm. it's probably like Lawrence Olivier. I was going to say Probably. Lawrence of Olivier. <laughs> Lawrence of Olivier. Yes, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Olivier. of Arabia. Um, well, this has been cachet. Sure have Lots been. to discuss. Um, okay. Have a happy Super Bowl Sunday. And not sure we'll be back next week. It might be a week from next week. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, listeners, bye.